0: Once again, good evening, and we want to get started so we can plow through this uh, material and make uh, good progress. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Lord, again, as we gather this evening in this place, our desire is that as we um, look to your word, again, we would see those things that you set forth as um, essential uh, patterns and practices of a biblical church. Lord, I pray that as we look at these things tonight, um, that there would be just a blessed clarity and simplicity, and when we kind of compare what your word says to just all of the things that men have introduced, Lord, we pray that we would um, be just encouraged uh, to trust in you to accomplish your work through your appointed means. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so uh, oftentimes when we're looking at the idea of a church, is what should a church do? And it's an interesting thing, and, and you wouldn't be too exposed to it. And I'm not going to over uh, overdo it, but just as a simple note, um, churches will often have this idea. All right, we got to get a group together, maybe the group of the church leaders or a group of mature people, and we got to come up with a church mission statement. You know, and and, and, and you're, I'm wondering, okay, so your church mission statement is going to be different than every other church's mission statement, and it's not going to be what the scriptures tell us to do, but kind of our own way of doing things? And then you've probably been to, and at least driven by, there's a variety of churches with a variety of events and activities, and it's oft advertised, and so... What, what ought to happen and what we ourselves will do and what we will continue to pray that God will work among his churches is that basically going back to the things that we've looked at in the past, nothing beyond what is written, we would ask ourselves, what do the scriptures instruct? What do they show us a church should look like? And if a church today by whatever uh, definition doesn't look like this then something's amiss because these are the things the scriptures lay down for us and and the beautiful thing about it is it just takes a little bit of effort to put together the verses that speak to the issue it doesn't take excessive scholarship it doesn't take an amazing amount of human wisdom it generally takes just just a little bit of hard work to search the scriptures and that little bit of humility to say, God's way is always the best way, better than mine. And so, what we see on here, and I'm going to take it up, which is now we're in part eight, um, the, the early church practices, and we see that poured out for us in, initially in uh, Acts 2.42, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, we, we, So this is what, as the church really began to worship together in earnest, following Pentecost, as a multitude of saints were gathered to Christ, uh, received the promised Holy Spirit, these are the things that characterized them under the leadership of the apostles and 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 it's just a simple list of things they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching or doctrine now now when i when i want to unpack that uh, the apostles teaching and doctrine the apostles teaching in fact for us is the new Testament. That is what the apostles give, and further than that, even we can see throughout the New Testament, the apostles would also teach the Old Testament as to how it applies, what it pointed forward to, what was its significance. We see examples of that in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 where it says these things were written down for our instructions so that we will not desire evil as they did, right? And so what I also want you to note here is it says they devoted themselves to. That's what most of our translations say devoted. And it's not that it's a wrong word, but the word carries this sense. They continued earnestly, continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. So it's not, it's not just a momentary passion or, or devotion. That's where, you, that's where they started and that's where they stayed. <laughs> they stayed in what we would say, what is for us today, the Bible. <laughs> they stayed in God's word. The apostles' teaching as they delivered all that Christ delivered to them, and as they unpacked and explained and applied the Old Testament as it moved forward. So the early church practicing, um, first and foremost, and I do like also the fact that it it says this, I mean, the ESV says apostles' teaching, the uh, King James says the apostles' doctrine. Because sometimes uh, you, you may meet somebody somewhere who goes to a church who has decided that doctrine is a bad word. You know, doctrine, and it's, it's simply because I guess they are in their mind equating doctrine with people who are uh, hard-hearted and have no zeal and compassion towards others, possibly. But the, the idea of doctrines, it, it's, it's an old word that simply means teaching. And so, the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine, it's the same thing. So, everyone has doctrine. I mean, th- this is the, this is the, the biggest uh, uh, challenge, and this is something R.C. Sproul used to bring up often. He would say this, everyone is a theologian. Everyone is. You ask them, what do you think about Christ? Their answer is their theology of Christ, their Christology. What do you think about salvation? The answer is their soteriology, their doctrine of salvation. You ask them, what do you think about end end times? That's their eschatology. Everybody has it, has theology. It's just not always necessarily a biblical theology. It's not necessarily an informed theology. It's not necessarily good theology. And, and so, but it's uh, theology and spiritual things is unlike other areas. For example, if, if someone were to say to you generally, you know, um, what, will, what will happen if you uh, cross uh, hydrochloric acid with uh, nitrogen uh, acetate? It, it's a good guess because I use the word nitrogen, but the, but the real answer is I don't know. <laughs> you know. But you get that odd character out there who doesn't know, but still gonna throw an answer out there. You know, it's gonna happen sometime. <laughs> you know? And it's fine, but in certain contexts, it, it's, it's meant in jest. But for some reason, when it comes to theological things, Pretty much every area, people think their ideas, their opinions, their feelings hold weight, and so uh, this is this is a beautiful, solid, and sure foundation you know and all the other all the other programs and all the other activities and all of the other church undertakings you know uh, if all the churches would make sure that they stick with just this first thing that's mentioned here oh that would solve so much you know it it essentially is a, a declaration of sola scriptura but it mentions apostles Teaching because at this time the New Testament was not yet written But what the Apostles would teach would indeed be that the second thing mentioned there is fellowship And you've probably heard the word koinonia before Um, When I was young visiting our church, we would always have the koinonia singers would come around once a year And so I you know, I thought okay, you know what koinonia means? Yeah moderately decent singers (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Some, you know, they were better some years and, and, and not as good other years. I'll depend on, on the crew that was gathered, but I didn't under- know the, the sense of the word, and it really simply speaks of this idea uh, of participation. It can also include, the, our simple translations can be fellowship, participation, sharing, expanded into a simple phrase, it's simply this, an association involving close mutual relations and involvement. So it's, we are one. We're part of the same body, we're part of the same group, we're part of the same people, we form an association, we form a group, but it's not just a club. It involves real involvement And real relating to one another. And and this is significant because in the New Testament church context. And particularly even though people like to think well. On the day of Pentecost it was mainly Jews. Because of course there were devout Jews from every nation who were there. But do you think that among themselves there was not already uh, separations? And... The higher class and the middle class and the lower class, there certainly was. Remember, by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, you're already having issues that there is a sense uh, of the Hellenistic widows. The the widows that are that are less of a, of a Jewish language and culture background and coming more from a from a, from a Greek cultural background, they're being overlooked. They're being marginalized, whereas the others seem to be nicely taken care of. Those things just happen all the time, but not in the church. It's not to be that way in the church. Now, there's no indication that it was systemic in any way. That it was. Part of the plan, just a a practical oversight that they needed to shore up. And they did shore that up. But koinonia, you know, it it carries on that simple sense, and, and the scripture carries this out. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're indeed part of the same family. And as family, we ought to be involved in one another's lives we ought to care about one another we ought to want the best for one another and help whenever it's needed i mean it's a real tangible life entanglement which sounds unpleasant but it's also a good thing in this context all right, Second, ne- the next thing mentioned there is the breaking of bread. Now, many times people will refer to this as the Lord's Supper, and indeed, they broke bread at the Lord's Supper. Indeed, the Jewish pattern is they broke bread at almost every meal. And to take a meal was generally called, let's break bread together. Why don't you come over and we'll break bread? It was a figure of speech for sharing a meal together. Now, this is again just a... Now, no doubt the early church was also involved in baptizing those who confessed their sins and believed in Christ. They were also involved into some to some degree of frequent observance of the Lord's Supper as well. Um, uh, but I lean in this particular passage to... Um, it, it's pushing the idea of koinonia a step further into... Uh, 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 closeness and hospitality that, that, that it, it's not just you know when we meet up at the at the prescribed meeting times hello how are you how is your life how is your family see you on tuesday hello how are you and and see you on sunday uh, but but it, it, it's more than that now, obviously, this has been a, a weird season for the last few months where a lot of those things have been fragmented and fractured. And further, we remember uh, one of the things that Jews would not do with Greeks and one of the things that, that often would uh, bring some degrees of separation, yeah, you're, you're below me. I will not eat at a table with you. Even in the context of ancient weddings, they would have a variety of tables. There were the seats of honor and the ones not so much. You know, Apparently, people often get those kind of mindsets sets at weddings that exist even today. And you, you, you sit down at the table and you look around and you know how important you were to the couple that just got married. <laughs> you know? Are, are you with the estranged odd uncle or are you with you know are you with the close cousin that was more like a sister what's going on where, where have they placed you well this idea of breaking bread together it it just furthered that sense of hey we are one we're together we're family we're I mean I, I it it's starting to sound cliche I wish I wasn't delivering this at this time but it was look we are all in this together in this, in this life together, in this ministry together, in this struggle together, in this persecution together, in this evangelism together, we're all in this together. Not in the, the weird senses that are going on, but in, in a much more significant sense. And then fourthly, in just out of Acts 2:42, prayers, breaking down and the prayers. That's an interesting phrase that it said, the prayers, instead of praying. Now, does the prayers mean that they, that they, had, uh, that they were using the uh, Anglican uh, Book of Common Prayer? Of course not, because it was not yet written and published. All right. But it also does not mean that they were necessarily reading prayers, but there are, there's various expressions of prayer. There are forms of prayer that are just overflows of adoration and praise and thanksgiving and exalting of God. There's forms of prayers that are praying for... uh, uh, the needs and struggles and, and 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 particular issues of our brothers and sisters in Christ then there is the pleading with God on behalf of our governors our our leading authorities the, those in the nation pleading for his mercy and grace for our unbelieving neighbors and co-workers and family members these are all different expressions different kinds of prayer and I like the fact that it, it uses this, what, what, what sounds like weird English, you know, uh, breaking of bread and the prayers. What? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a strange sentence, but they pray. One of the things that ought to be characteristic, and, 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 and you're going to see as we go through there, when churches come together, uh, they ought to be beginning with prayer. You ought to hear prayer sprinkled in. There ought to be conclusions with prayer. There ought to be a lot of scripture that's saturating the service. And and hopefully as we go through these, you will see the influence of these things on on what we do here. Um, And so we even try to urge these kind of things. Again, the breaking of bread, if you read down further in that passage in Acts chapter 2, it's not something that was necessarily taking place place in the church koinonia hall or the church fellowship hall is it was often house to house small groups um, friends uh, we, we just doing that life together the, moving on just working our way through the scriptures we also it begins to see show us in acts chapter 6 verse 4 what i what i call the elders priorities And this is something that must not be lost. When we're living in an era of CEO pastors, you know, um, it's interesting. Like I told you before, in classic, more classic days, you would have your senior pastor and then associate or assistant pastors. Now you have lead pastors because he's way too young to be called senior, You know, and many of the assistants or associates are twice the lead pastor's age. And sometimes lead pastor is not enough. It'll be like lead pastor for preaching and vision, you know, and it's a, whoa, like like he's going to somehow have this unique, extraordinary spiritual endowment that he's going to be able to chart the direction of, get out of here. You know, uh, uh, I I would I, I wish that he would get over himself and say, no, I don't have the wisdom and wherewithal. I don't I don't have the the, the vision and the plan. I'm not going to take the church into the next century and 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 bring it to the new generation. And no 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 no. Elders' priorities, as were laid down so beautifully clear early on as other issues began to impinge upon them, was as simple as this, Acts 6, verse 4, we will devote ourself to. Again, by devote, it's showing their higher priority. Did did elders do other things? Yes, the elders, uh, the apostles, they administrated the the, the finances, they oversaw the uh, the deacons, they did a number of other things. They also were involved in evangelism. There were, there's a lot of things they were doing. But their priority was, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That's the highest priority. We, I think we, we, we should not miss... Remembering what Jesus said in the restoration of Peter. It happened three times in the restoration of Peter after Peter had denied Jesus. You remember that? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And that, that went back and forth three times. And and what would Jesus say each time? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. I mean, that was to be the biggest responsibility was to feed the sheep and that continues to be the highest responsibility generally speaking we've already looked at one of the things that the church is is a flock and so the, the i when we come together on sundays it is primarily to feed the sheep And that we together would also direct our praise and worship and thanks and dependence to God. It is not primarily the place of evangelism. Our lives are primarily the place of evangelism. As we meet with people, as we're in the workplace. Now, does evangelism still take place in in the church? Sure it does, because so much of what we are continues to, to go back to and relate to Christ and relate to the gospel, and so much of our hope in light of our sin is because of what has been accomplished in the gospel. So the gospel will always, in a faithful church, and the, and the work in person of Christ, what I mean by the gospel, will always get regular repetition. Because it, it keeps God's people grounded. But evangelism is not, this is sort of a semi-side note, evangelism is not, hey, are you a Christian? No. Do you want why don't you come to church with me? That's not evangelism. That's an invitation to church. You know, and it's, and and I pray and hope it won't happen here. But I've heard of occasions of, of, of people doing that, and then they invite the person uh, to church that Sunday, and it happens to be building project Sunday, <laughs> where, where all that's being talked about is the attempt to motivate and raise funds for the next building project. That that happens apparently, and doesn't go over well when you thought you're bringing them, finally got them to come to church. Now. Because it's like, wow, they're all about money and building programs. Now, realistically, you could bring an unbeliever to church here for the first time, and if you've never shared the gospel with them, a lot of these things that we might teach that have to be spiritually discerned, they may walk away saying, I I didn't understand a thing that guy was saying. Which, strangely enough, today, there is a tendency to fault the preacher if the unbeliever didn't understand it. But the scripture says, our preaching is foolishness to them. They are not able to understand it because it's spiritually discerned. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. So, so, now listen. We cannot defend all preachers. There are preachers that, uh, you know, not only can the visitor not understand, the saints themselves have no clue what he's talking about. He doesn't even seem to know where he's going from moment to moment. Just kind of flying by the seat of his pants, off the cuff. Uh, but, I w- so again, I want to note in here, prayer and ministry of the word. Also want to note this, prayer is... Significant. Yeah, this this is prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I mean, there we we we. I've talked about this in the past, and we've got to make sure that we get rid of it from our language. We we somebody's. In in need and in difficult circumstances, they're not able to pay your their bills, and you also are barely paying your bills, and you're not able to give them anything. Uh, so do you say I'm I would I would help you if I could, but I can't. So all I can do is just pray for you, as if. I would do something real, but since I can't do something real, I'm going to do something kind of fake. Prayer is not fake. Prayer is significant. You know, honestly, if God is pleased with his power to answer our prayers, he can do far more in answer to our prayers than we could do. So so prayer is the most significant thing that we can do. And then secondarily, if there is also a practical way we could participate in being part of the answer to our prayer, fine. I I remind you of this, this is just uh, so hard not to go off topic sometimes. It's not off topic, it's what I'm talking about, but not in the lesson. Uh, Jesus had said, listen, pray, The field is white for harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. And you know what Jesus does the next chapter? He sends them. (laughs) He he makes those very people he told to pray that that the Lord would send, he makes them the answer to the prayer they just prayed. Wonderful. But see, uh, my fear is sometimes we think, ah, no need to pray for this person because I can just help them. No, 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 no. Prayer. Pray, pray, pray. We have to uh, discuss in recently with Ben about uh, 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 interpretation. Uh, there are things that you repeat when you're preparing for a passage. One of the things is read, 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 read. You know what another thing is? Pray, 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 pray. <laughs> Because you, you, this is spiritual truth and you are dependent upon God. And you know how many men, good men at times, you know, a MacArthur here and a Sproul there disagreeing on the issue of baptism. How many men differ? And our goal is, is not simply to choose one camp. Our hope would be to faithfully teach what the scriptures teach. And we can't pretend that we're necessarily smarter than both of these guys. And you don't just sit back and choose which one you think is smarter. You pray, pray, pray. And you read, read, read and study. Okay. Next one. Additional church practices. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Addressing one another in Psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, and and singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So again, uh, what I want to draw your attention to here is um, additional church practices include musical, that's vocal and instrumental, expressions and exhortations. Now, just so you know, go back up for a moment to Ephesians 5, where it says making melody to the Lord with all your heart in the ESV. That word for melody is the word for plucking the strings on an instrument. Okay, so so it's talking about, you know, if you read the Psalms, at times you'll actually, it will say, play skillfully to the Lord on the strings. Right? But I want you to also notice something. Sometimes, and this is a scary notion, and this is one thing I, I, I oft want to warn us about, sometimes we... With our potentially natural human tendencies towards self righteousness, it can happen. (laughs) We have that tendency, we can become more spiritual than the Bible in our own minds. We're not actually more spiritual than the Bible, you know, not ever. But we become more spiritual because we'll, we'll start to say something like this. There was a church, and, and most of you won't know about it, and I can't even remember the founder's name, but it came out a few years back, and they called themselves the Vertical Church. And uh, where there was like, we've got to stop all this stuff where it's all about us and all about you and me, and boy, that's a healthy imbalance to correct. But, then, but their view was this. When we sing, everything, when we come together, everything is vertical. You know, uh, it looks like I'm doing some sort of aerobics up here. Let me slow down. Uh, that 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 was, but that's not right either, because it says very clearly in Ephesians five, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So sometimes we're calling each other to live a certain way, to believe certain things to act in certain ways. We're calling one another to join us in praise to God. Okay? Uh, they, you know, so th- that is an aspect to it, as well as it does say, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So lest we think it's only horizontal to one another, no, it's also to the singing to the Lord. So we want to make sure that we have that healthy balance where we are in some sense singing, exhorting, teaching, encouraging one another in song and where together we are also ascribing glory and praise and thanks to God. So there is there there's both the horizontal and the vertical aspect of the expression of worship in song. Now if you want to ask me well well what's the proper balance of vertical to horizontal? It's like come on. You know the, the, the what are we going to say 50-50 to look God willing we what's the what's the balance on on any given passage? Some passages for an extended time say, uh, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, turn from that. Other passages for an extended amount of time will speak of what God has done, what God has accomplished, who Christ is, and our hope in Him. And so, some degree... Here's the easiest way. Don't pay attention. means, hopefully, uh, you know... Pray for those who are selecting the songs that they would do so in such a way that encourages the the saints. But don't keep a tally. Don't keep a tab and say, they went 80-20 today. I think a little too much horizontal happening. Uh, Because it may be that the next week it's 80-20 the other way. Okay, I'll keep a tally for a whole year, then we'll see. Why why are we not in the job of church judging? We should be committed to worship God together and serve God together. I'm just putting these things out there because there are some who can um, wonderfully emphasize the imbalance that has taken place for a season where it's all about you and me and, and it becomes about our, our, our felt needs and our felt circumstances, you know, and, and God gets honorary mention occasionally. Uh, we want to correct that but we've lived in an era where occasionally there's a bit of over 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 compensation have you ever heard the song how great is our god there's a part in that song how great is our god then it says this sing with me how great is our god i'm aware of a a, a circumstance where a man said we should not sing that song it's drawing attention to ourselves sing with me asking Exhorting one another to sing with me, to exhorting one another that we would do so together is not drawing attention to you. Sing with me. I've heard people sing that many times. At no point when they said, sing with me, how great is our God, did I start thinking about them. Oh, they want me to focus on them now for a second. That never happened. And so that's why I'm saying we, we don't want to become more spiritual th- that we think we know better than the Scriptures do, and we don't. The Scriptures always know better. So it's to one another as well as to the Lord, and it is wholehearted to the Lord with your whole heart. And you'll see one of the things that ought to encapsulate um, in both of these things, uh, praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. Because remember, here's the reality we have. No matter how dark the season or circumstances, do we have reason to praise our God? Yeah, our eternity is sure and secure. Jesus did die and rise again. He is going to come again. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He is, even now, Sovereignly working all circumstances for the good of his people and the glory of his name. So we can always give thanks. And so that is something it is to be woven into and characterize our praise. Beyond musical, there is also the exercise of spiritual gifts to build up one another, uh, the church for the glory of God. First Corinthians says it this way, What then, brothers, when you come together... Um, one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. That's in the context of spiritual gifts. Let us use our spiritual gifts to build up one another. First Peter says it this way. Each of us has received a gift. Chapter 4, verse 10. Use it to serve one another. I always want to remind us of that. The spiritual gift is not to do what? It's not to serve ourselves. It's not to puff ourselves up. It's not to make much of ourselves. It's to be a benefit to God's people. You know, I often will tell uh, young preachers, uh, you got to be careful to make sure you get out of the way of the sermon. <laughs> Sometimes it, you can end up Weaving so much of your personal experience, your personal stories, your personal things, that in the end, it seemed like the whole sermon was kind of a story about you. You know? And and this is what it says we should do. Let me tell you a time I did that when it was really difficult. You know? And this is this is what it says. And yeah, David defeated Goliath. Let me tell you a victory I had one time. It's like, what's happening here? You know, it, it can just... Get distracted. Uh, Preaching and teaching is, is supposed to be among the spiritual gifts as well as every other one. And the design of the spiritual gifts is for others to serve one another's, to build them up. So that they, again, what? Think highly of God. They take note of their responsibility before Him. They tremble. Maybe it would be nice if there was a little bit of trembling with a sense of God's power, God's discipline, and God's presence in everything that we're doing and everywhere that we are, that there is no secrets from Him. Okay, but again, serve one another as good stewards of God's very graces. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks, the very oracles are or the very word of God. Whoever serves... As one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So, so, the one who speaks, speaks as one who speaks the very word of God. So, there's no boasting. He's, I'm just delivering what God gave. The one who serves, he serves with the strength that God supplies. So, can he boast in his strength? Now, listen, we've got different men here and different women here with different skill sets, different abilities, uh, uh, which are all appreciated. But if we back it up, I mean, you you got a host of things you can do that I cannot do. But if you back it up, why can you do it and I can't? Well, I learned it from my father. Okay, so you were in a different circumstance there. Or um, I kind of have that inclination and aptitude. I, I, I had this experience. I had this job. Well, whatever it was, practical providence, divine provision and enablement, it's all from God. And so we humbly serve with the strength of God's supplies, so that in everything, what? God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we serve one another for the glory of God. Now that's always important, serve one another for the glory of God at the end of 1 Peter 4 there because sometimes when you serve someone else, and note this, you might not get a thank you note. Right? And it's okay. You might you might not get a plaque in your honor. You know, you might not get a wing of the church dedicated to you, or whatever it may be. Uh, people may even take it for granted, appreciate it initially, and then tend to kind of presume on it as time goes by or so it feels it may still be appreciated but it's just not expressed as frequently but listen that's okay because you know what you're still doing you're serving one another in a way that benefits the church and it's ultimately to the glory and pleasure of god so listen even if they don't take note of it. I, I my mind goes back to to the beatitudes and I think okay if not getting the reward from men means I'm going to get the reward from God. Yeah. Please withhold withhold your praise, withhold your rewards, withhold that. I don't want it. Cuz we want our rewards from God. Right? All right. Let's keep going through there so that we see the exercise of spiritual gifts to build one another up. Paul also says this, and I, I take note of this. First uh, Timothy, chapter four, verse 13, Timothy has become one of the elders in this church at Ephesus that's at, going through so many struggles and challenges as so many of the early churches did. And he says this, until I come, he's given him the priorities that as a minister in that church, what he must make sure is going on. Until I come, pay close attention to your nursery program, to VBS, to the comfort of the chairs. uh, Can we keep going? Okay, it does not say that. Uh, These are things that sometimes uh, we, we get, the old phrase was, we get bent out of shape about. You remember that phrase? But... Till I come, pay close attention to what? The public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Brothers and sisters, if you're in a church that does that, be thankful. And realistically, sometimes churches are, are majoring on the minors. You know, they, they're, they're, they've got great seats and they've got great nursery program. They've got a, a great VBS and, and all the, they've got all the bells and whistles and tokens and trinkets. They got it all. But if you go there, do you see on Sunday the priority and the things that seem to happen most is the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching, and of course, sprinkled in with much prayer. Is that what you find, or do you find other things? And people are running to and fro, and 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 to and fro. And before you know it, you know, I say this in a loving way, because I think she was a wonderful lady in some senses, everyone becomes like Martha the first time they had Jesus to their home. I don't want to say like Martha, because Martha seemed to really love the Lord. Uh, And she had much to commend her as well. But she was busy about many things. But one thing was necessary. And Mary had chosen the better thing. And that was to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's possible that people get so caught up in activities and events and programs that you know what gets lost? Just sitting In a sense, at the feet of Jesus, listening to the word read, listening to the word uh, uh, urged, the exhortation there, listening to the the word with with sort of a a strong urging, pleading, a strong and earnest consolation and comforting, as well as unfolding instruction. Those are the things that that are the priorities. And you see that... um, Explained on page two, where we see the public reading. Now, the public, the word of Scripture is not actually in the Greek. If you have a a King James, you'll see it in italics, or it or it may not be there. But in this in this context, it's quite clear. That's why it's been oft added to our translations. What they're reading, because it's following in this in the pattern. As we've already seen, following the synagogue pattern, which served as a pattern for much of the New Testament church that spread abroad, which would be a reading of Scripture and then an exposition or explanation of that Scripture, which we saw Jesus do in his own lifetime and ministry, and we saw also would take place with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and so on. Okay. Further, we also recognize that with some degree of frequency, we also observe the Lord's Supper. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He come. Remembering that the Passover was but an annual thing. And there was some expectation within the language here, as often as you do, that it wouldn't be a mere annual event. Now, some of our dear brothers, I think, have gone overboard and they think it has to be every Sunday and they get a little bit carried away whenever, no, whenever you come together as a church. Well, we're also coming together as a church right now on Tuesdays, so we ought to have it. No, no, no. And we would, and some churches come together on Sunday evening too. I mean, it's got to be every time you come together as a church, if you want to be hyper about it or you or you just recognize it as encouraged to have a greater degree of frequency so that we keep it fresh in our minds, the work of Christ on the cross. That it never gets far uh, uh, from our hearts and minds, as well as baptism, which I've simply defined here. I'm not defending. Baptism is the immersion of repenting believers. Uh, 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 another essential element of a local church is the exercise of church discipline. This is when a uh, uh, a member of the church uh, is found to be in sin, they go after them. And we've talked before about the, the process of Matthew 18. A biblical church is committed to the purity of the church. And, and the, des, the design of, when we've talked about this before, the design of uh, church discipline isn't first to purge the church of the evil person. It is to purge the church of evil practices. And our hope would be that as we go to them, they would repent and turn from that practice, and thus the evil is purged from the church. But sometimes they will cling to their sin and be unrepented, and it will be told to the church, and they'll still cling to it, and it will have to be, the evil will have to be purged by the removal of that person. And sometimes, as it seems to be the case in 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians, uh, that person may, after being put out of the church, be later brought to, to conviction and repentance and a turning from their sin and coming back. But there are, a biblical church doesn't look the other way at sin. Doesn't take when they know their sin taking place, they deal with it. And it, and and we we note and I remind you read these passages that, I, that I've I've written here and this is everyone nobody in the church is above church discipline including church leadership which is why I, I also added a Timothy in there uh, because uh, I think I added Timothy in there didn't I I did First Timothy let the elders rule uh, but. Uh, I I didn't add it where I wanted to add. Okay, I did. First Timothy five. I wrote it in there. First Timothy five, nineteen and twenty. So the church exercises church discipline. Um, the, the next thing that we see is uh, uh uh from these verses: let the elder who uh rules well be considered worthy of double honor. Double honor in the in the old sense is not that one elder is somehow gonna have. Uh, twice the esteem in our eyes as as another elder. It's not a higher esteem. In, in the ancient context, the idea of double honor was they were to honor those who were in position of leadership and authorities. They were to treat them with due respect. The double honor, the second honor was compensation. You free them up from, from uh, uh, other responsibilities so that they can... Devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word for the good of the saints. So, so the one form of honor is, is uh, uh, loving respect. The second double honor was a form of support. So where possible, you would hope to see a biblical church is supporting their full-time uh, teaching, preaching elders. Further, they also are supporting those who serve afar, in 3 John, in verse, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, it said this, they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, In that context is a reference to unbelievers. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. We ought to support people like these. Why? That we may be fellow workers with them in the truth. So, a biblical church is going to not only be striving to support, if possible, a full-time teaching and preaching elder, it's going to be supporting faithful workers in other places. And a beautiful thing about that is that support, you are considered, in, in this context, it says what? To be a fellow worker with them. It's 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 stronger language. It's not just a mere supporter. It's not just disentangled that there that there is a, a a participation and a cooperation. So hopefully we would be involved not only in financial support but we'd be involved in praying for them, knowing the practical struggles that they have, if possible when they return from other places, uh, uh, a hearing from them as to the things that God is doing, and further a local church will be doing things like helping to support those in need primarily among us. Religion that is pure, James one twenty seven and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and the widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. So um, the widows and the orphans are, are those people in need, ostracized, struggling. So these are the, th- these are the things that a church does, plain, simple, clear, Um, Now, moving further, I'm going to give uh, some expanded things. Why is it important, essential, and I'm going going back to the heart of it, till I I come, pay close attention to the public reading, exhortation, and teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Why is that so important as, as that central thing that has to never be lost as the priority of the church and the priority of the elders of the church, prayers and the ministry of the word. Here's why. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 reminds us of this. Now the Spirit expressly says: all right, this isn't veiled roundabout possible illusions. This is clear language that in latter times some will depart from. The faith. Remember, we've done this study in the past. The faith are the doctrines of the apostles, what the scripture teaches. Faith is believing. The faith is what we believe. It's content. They will depart from the faith, which means they may still call themselves Christians. But one of the problems that was even happening in the earlier church, they were calling themselves Christians, but then they were saying, uh, "Jesus is already, uh, uh, come again," or "Jesus is not coming again physically; he's already come again spiritually." Wait, you're you're departing from the faith, because we still have an earnest hope and longing for the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You, and so doctrine is, is the issue that's in concern here and because what happens is they depart from the faith which is given to us in the scriptures from the apostles and they devote themselves to deceitful spirits. And the scripture here even says, and the doctrine or teaching of demons. Yeah. That's, a, that's an unnerving thing, right? Now, most who are doing that may not be aware that the doctrine that they're promoting is from demons. But demon's goal is to distract from that which the scripture sets forth, put as different passions, different priorities. And one of the ways you'll see it is it, 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 it often is, it redirects the focus off of God and off of his glory onto men. Man becomes center. Your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, your pleasures, your desires, God exists to fulfill that for you. Really? How about we exist only because of His mercy and grace and those that He has called by His name, we exist for the praise of His glory. Those who come not to repentance ultimately will find that they exist for the praise of his power and wrath. Yeah. And he goes on further in, in, uh, later in chapter 4, verse 6 and following, he says, if you put these things before the brothers. What are the these things? The things he's been taught by Paul. You know what Timothy is never to do? He's not supposed to put his own things before them. He's supposed to put these things, the things that he's received. The apostles received them from the Lord. They passed them to the next generation of men. And these were the things that they needed to deliver. Nothing more, nothing less. He goes, if you do this, put these things, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of faith. In order to set these things, the apostolic doctrines, before the people, you know what's kind of required? Little bit of training. You know, you gotta have some instruction. I mean, that was the design. That we live in this curious world where people think, "Nah, nah, I'll figure it out." You know. Uh, when I was young, there was a, there was a, a wonderful season. A man in our church owned a recycling company. And in that recycling company, there was a, a giant forklift there called a loader. And it was always interesting when, when one of the new hires there w- would say, hey, hey, I'll do it. Have you ever driven a loader before? Well, I've driven a forklift. Well, have you driven a loader before? I'll figure it out. Oh, my goodness. It's different. They turn in the middle. The the steer, everything is completely different about it. And I cannot tell you how many of those men damaged the trucks they were trying to remove things from. Oops. Oops. Look, no. Look, if you don't know what you're doing... You can do some damage. So here's a better plan. Learn it. Then do it. You know, some basic instruction is is really important. uh, Yeah, so again, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine. And then he goes on, verse 7, to say, have nothing to do with Irreverent, silly myths. Now, the word there translated "silly" here. They're being generous, uh, not wanting to offend anybody. But literally, it is um, the story's old lady's tale. You know, it, it, that's literally what the what it what it says there. And, you know, and in that context, it's kind of fun and sweet and entertaining. You know. Uh, uh, the The stories that that my grandmother might might tell Jemima of my of my childhood, uh, I honestly think some of them were fabricated, but nonetheless, uh, you know, they were off the sweet and presented me in a relatively adorable light, so I would let it ride. Uh, b- but the idea is, look, we we you can't just kind of go with, Your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own recollection. No, no, no. That's not what you're going to be about. Myths is the idea of not only the the legends and myths uh, of the Greeks. it's, It's the idea of fiction. That which is made up. Yeah, that's not good. Rather, train yourself for godliness. He tells him in 2 Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, and he, because there's going to be an out of season, and sometimes it's, strangely enough, the out of season is a long time, it seems. Nobody's ready. Um, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. That idea is there with all long-suffering, which means you rebuke and you correct, and they don't get it. You know what you do? You keep rebuking and you keep correcting. You know, you, you keep doing that. You keep teaching it, right? Even if it's not getting through, you keep saying what you're supposed to say. The complete patience isn't to just, well, I'll just be patient with them. Well, I'm gonna perseveringly keep correcting, <laughs> perseveringly keep instructing. Goes on further and uh, with all long suffering and teaching or doctrine for the time will coming will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will accumulate for them teachers who suit their own passions. They'll say, uh, I want a church that teaches what I believe, which is not irrational. You know, I mean, who wants a church that teaches what they don't believe? That'd be a bit crazy. But the, the, the caution can come in this. What if what you believe right now isn't right? And all you do is find somebody who's telling you that. And you join the Flat Earth Society, you know, and you all jump in there. because Well, I'm going to join this group because we all believe this already. Well, that's going to be a real productive group as you pat each other on the back and continue to confirm your errors to one another. So that's not good. Now, I don't know anybody who goes intentionally goes to a church that believes different from them, and I don't encourage that. But you can't be in a place necessarily and immediately jump and run because well, this is a little different than I than than my position. I'm going to find somebody who agrees with me. Why not wait and see if, or at least interact some and find out if maybe they were bringing correction to your misunderstanding, and sadly, instead of receiving correction, you cut and ran and found somebody who has the same error that you got, because you'll find somebody. I mean, we live in that kind of consumer church age. You can, you can find any flavor. Uh, So they're going to want things that suit their own passion, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And you'll know that because there won't be regular reading of the scripture. Scripture will get secondary information and there won't be exhortation. There won't be application. There'll be a lot of blah, blah, blah. Titus 2.15 says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Here's the confidence that Paul is able to have and exercise, and he's the confidence that he, he knows that Timothy and Titus can have. Look, don't say, as, as one who has been trained by the apostles, don't say, you may be right, I may be right, anybody may be right, I don't know. That, that's not it. it. It is, declare these things and exalt with all authority. Now, this is for Titus. And this is for Timothy, these are men who are rightly trained in sound doctrine, which isn't always necessarily the case today, but I'm going to tie this up in just a second. We know some of the things are hard to understand that are written in the scripture, which is why 2 Timothy says, he says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the pattern in trust to faithful men in trust to faithful men that's not a man going to a bookstore buying a bunch of books sitting in the back of his car and reading them and saying i'm trained i'm trained you're not trained you read a book you know and there's a ton of books out there how do you know the reliability of that book well i read 3 books and I liked this about this one. And I liked this about this one. Okay, you liked. Great. But just because you like it, does that mean it's true? No, no. And then uh, the last verse I draw your attention to because I want to I bring a, a, a good understanding of this. It says this. To the, to the, this would be an instruction to the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. And often, what happens today, if there's a disagreement between the leaders and, and, the, and the believer, what happens? They leave. There ain't no obeying, there ain't no submitting. It, nine times out of nine, they leave, you know, it, because that's just the way that it goes which is so hard then for those who are trying to exercise watch care over their souls very difficult this uh, this idea of obey and submit is not an idea people like in in a democratic society but listen this isn't this isn't uh this isn't shut up and submit that's that's not what this is saying and actually, it says something very different. When you see the word obey, I don't know why they translated this word obey. Because you can see, and I've given these words for you here, um, the word there is feste," which it's, it's an imperative present passive. So this is something that must be done. It is this, be convinced, persuaded, or believe. The idea is generally this. If there is a difference of opinion, doctrinally, between you and the leaders, have a tendency to trust them because they are, God willing, if everything has been done right, they are faithful men with some faithful training, and they may have... God willing, come to that conclusion through intensive, devoted, careful study of the Scripture. Now, can they be wrong? Sure they can. But the general tendency ought to be, uh, our, our first thought was, I, I, I differ in this. If I've got this wrong, I, I really want him to help me understand what is right. That that ought to be the spirit in which, and and it may come to it when you when you engage that person that you realize, all right, they don't have any real grounds for what they're what they're doing, and so uh, I'm I stand ready to be convinced and persuaded by them, but they just they're just not doing it they're not opening up the word they're not showing it to me uh you know they may be speaking of their years of experience they may be speaking of their church positions but that that's that's irrelevant show me from the word and then the also the 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 sense of submit there is um this is in the imperative passive that is to yield to give way okay you go ahead and do it you go ahead and take it now here's here's the beautiful thing about this if for example and i'll use myself as the bad example god please protect me from ever doing this if i was to teach you something that was not accurate and you were to not having the wherewithal to necessarily be able to argue differently if you were to accept it because i taught that to you do you know who has to answer for that mistake? Me. That you had wrong doctrine in that area, you will not be judged for. I am the one who will have to give account for that mistake. And oh, if, if, if preachers would take that seriously, I am accountable for any misleading that, I, that that would be done. Any mistake, any error that I would promote, I'm responsible for it. And think about it. I would be responsible for not only my wrong idea in it, but yours and yours and yours and yours. So my, my guilt, my error becomes multiplied, which is why not many, James says, should become teachers. Because teachers will incur a stricter judgment. Now, I'm never, ever, ever going to ask the saints to be blind followers of your leaders. Don't just close your eyes and say whatever our leaders say. You know, I, I love the leader. I obey the leader. I follow the leader. No, 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 no. No, not just that. But hopefully we would have that respect and we would tend to say, all right, if he's teaching that, he probably has some pretty solid grounding from the scriptures for why he's teaching that. It's different than I've heard before. Um, I'm going to ask him to help me to understand that. Help me to see what I'm missing there. So it's, it's, it's a, a teachable spirit, we could say. Ready to be led. Whereas we live in an age where everybody is like the self-teacher. We want, to be, we want to be cautious concerning that. So these are the warnings for the church. Let me pray and we'll, and we'll quickly pray together. Lord, I thank you that we could spend this time in your word and thank you that we could uh, get through these things. Lord, just uh, such a desire that churches would be biblical churches. You set forth with great clarity the things that are a church priority. And I bemoan the reality that that is not what we see in the world around us today. Even as I bemoan it, it ought not surprise me, your scripture warns that this is exactly what would happen. The Spirit expressly says that this is how it's going to be, that indeed the love of many will grow cold. There will be a lot of uh, twisting and wrangling. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be faithful. Help us to be simple. Help us to be sincere. In Jesus' name.